just want to ask you one question. What do you want to be remembered for? It was a long journey. Many people felt the hurt along the way. Were they going to make it? Were they not? They did. They got back to the other side. We got back to the green. We weren't in the red. We were in the red last week. We're back in the green. It was a long journey. It was tough. It was difficult. We faced many trials and tribulations, many of our picks falling flat on their face, fumbling the ball only to be benched, never to be seen again, much like Keyshawn Vaughn's trajectory going forward <laughs> in the season. A really rough showing for that guy yesterday. But nevertheless, guys, we made money last week. We made money the first two weeks. We lost money. Then we won more money. Okay, so we're back at it. Hopefully you guys listened to the advice and you would have hit on the running back one, the wide receiver one, and I believe the quarterback one, if I'm not mistaken. Tight end one. Tight end one. End one. That's a big three that you want to hit on at the same time. We did. We made the money. And we're sitting good, and we are going to help you guys make your money back. Because that's what we're here to do, uh, as as well as, you know, make fun of all our league mates for not making any money on DFS, even though we tell them constantly this is what they need to be doing. We've got a few. We've hooked them in. Andrew, welcome. Welcome to the uh, the DFS side of things. And next week, we will talk about your single-game slate addiction uh, and how to set and figure out um, how to make heads or tails of it to maximize your money. Because single game slates are a whole different animal and they're on both sides. One thing I'm going to lead in with is we are actually going to establish now, not halfway through, I, <laughs> your host of this here Full Tilt Dynasty DFS podcast that you are in tune with, I prefer DraftKings. That's FF underscore IMBQ on the Twitters. I do DraftKings. It's full point PPR, and the pricing is a little bit different. With me, as always, is my co-host. That's FF underscore RTDB. That's Jacob Sanderson. Why don't you let him know what you're rolling with? Yeah, so I, I play exclusively on FanDuel. Um, it's not because I'm employed by them or I get any bonuses from them or, frankly, even because I think that it's like a far superior site. Um, it's just where I started playing, and so it's where I'm more comfortable um, it's where I can see the value more clearly. Um, so whenever I'm giving prices, assume that those are FanDuel prices. When I'm giving my tournament lineups, those are FanDuel lineups. If you follow my advice to the letter, that's FanDuel advice. If you play on DraftKings and you want DraftKings-specific advice, feel free to please message me. Um, you probably want to include the prices because I'm usually not as familiar with DraftKings prices, but I can absolutely do that. Um, or you can refer you to Tom, who who has the the DraftKings um, stuff fully ingrained in his memory banks. That being said, we know that a lot of you probably play on each site. So, um, you know, even if it interrupts the flow a little bit, because sort of we can give you some advice that's actionable specific to each site each week, 
Um, I think that helps because I know that tons of you play on both um, or on either. Um, and yeah, by all means, um, you know, reach out to us no matter which site you play on and we can help out. And mo- especially for the full slate stuff, like most of the advice that we give can easily be applied to each site unless there's just a massive difference in pricing for a player. But like usually it's going to be hard to find a player that we love on one site, don't like on the other site or anything like that. Well, uh, just remember, we talked about what is it, David Johnson, I think it was last week, where it was yeah. super higher and on, on FanDuel, but on DraftKings, I got him at six grand. I think it was significantly higher for you and where he was there. So every once in a while, there'll be like a weird out-of-the-norm value play, but for the most part, it will be uh, applicable to both. Uh, but we just, instead of talking about it halfway through, and people go, oh, I didn't know that, which we got a few messages about, yeah, I'm, I heard you. We corrected it, and now you know, and knowing is half the battle. Jacob, every week we want to break down a little bit of strategy advice. DFS isn't just, oh, this guy's cheap. He's going to have a big game. I'm going to click on him. You can play it that way. It's a fun way to do it. You can pick whose name sounds the coolest or who has the cutest haircut. That's totally fine. But if you want to maximize your money, that's not how you want to go into it. So... Jacob, what are we talking about this week in terms of strategy? Yeah, so today we're going to be talking about something that we don't usually cover on the podcast, and that is single-game slates. So usually the plays that we give out, the tournaments we're talking about, the cash lineups we're talking about, that's all referring to the main slate, which is basically every game happening at noon or 3 on Sunday. Um, And, you know, we've been getting a lot of... Folks listening to the podcast that want to play, you know, the Thursday night games, the Monday night games, the Sunday night games, and, you know, they don't get to hear about that on the podcast. So I usually give out on Twitter um, some thoughts before a single game slate. So FF underscore RTDB for that. I will usually do a breakdown for each single game, but we want to give some more general thoughts for how to attack those because actually if, if you've never played DFS before, and you find all of the options available to you in these huge slates kind of overwhelming, it's not the worst idea to play one of those single-game slates. That's specifically how I got started in basketball, was playing single-game slates, um, just so I can get a bit of a feel for it um, with you know a smaller list of players that I'm really trying to, trying to worry about. So we want to talk a little bit about that today. Okay, so which game do you want to use as your example? What is the single-game stack game that you are really looking at uh, breaking down for us today? Yeah, so I mean the 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 fun thing about this year is that if COVID keeps postponing games, I think we're gonna have a lot more single game or two game yeah. slates than usual. <laughs> um, you know, if if for instance if Tennessee Buffalo happens on Tuesday, that could be a real fun one. But you know, as we refer to it, I'm gonna talk a little bit about the Minnesota Seattle game. It's probably like the most fun game on the slate, and so it sucks that we don't get to talk about that on the main slate because it has an over under of I think like 420 points. Um, it's actually 57, which is the highest over under, I think of the year. Um, so, you know, it would have been a fun game to play, but you still can play it on, on the single game slate. So generally what I look for on, on a single game slate overall is by the way, for people that don't know how they work, um, slight difference between FanDuel and DraftKings, but they both share this in common. So on FanDuel, um, it is five slots. There's no position requirements. So just pick any players you want. Each of them have a salary, still the $60,000 salary cap, but everyone's salaries are boosted up quite a bit from what we're regularly looking at. Um, you know, so you're, you're trying to fit it under 60K, but now guys that normally would be eight, 9,000, they're like 15,000, 16,000, for instance. So 
your one player you're picking is the MVP. That person gets one and a half points, um, you know, for what they normally would get. So, for instance, if you put Russell Wilson in your MVP slot and he gets 30 points um, for on Sunday night, he's going to put 45 in your lineup. Then the other four, you just pick whoever you want, and those just get the straight points. On DraftKings, it's a similar concept, and Tom, you can talk about that a little bit more um, from your experience, but it's, it's six spots instead of five is one difference. And yeah. then the other big difference is that there is FanDuel has a price floor on single game slates at $5,000. So Russell Wilson, for instance, is the top price play on the slate. That's $16,500. The price floor is 5K. So literally anyone, like people that are on the practice squad, people that will never see a snap, they're still at 5K. Um, whereas DraftKings does not have a price floor. Like you can find plays all the way down to like 200 bucks, <laughs> And the top plays are still actually not that far off. You know, they're 13,000, 14,000. So it, it really incentivizes you on DraftKings more to be able to pick one or two like super cheap plays um, because, you, you, you know, that, that allows you to create way more salary because of the variation of that. But otherwise, the concepts are primarily the same. And basically what I think you need to do in a single game slate is differentiation matters even more than it regularly does, especially if you're in a big tournament, right? I mean, we talk all the time on this podcast about how important it is to differentiate. I think it was episode two. Uh, that was sort of our deep dive was talking about different ways of differentiating. So two or three. Um, and so differentiating a single game slate obviously is way, way, way more important, right? We're already worried about ownership at 20 to 30% ownership yep. in tournaments on the main slate well you know you'll see people you know i bet people like russell wilson for instance probably gonna be like 80 90 percent owned um you know on on the main slate or on the single game slate sorry so you know playing russell wilson um not in your mvp slot in many ways you're actually fading russell wilson because there will be way more people at that point that have russell wilson in the mvp than don't have russell wilson at all so you know, it creates sort of an awkward position where you're playing a guy and you're almost fading him at the same time, which is really, really difficult. And so what you have to do, I think, in, in these types of slates is you have to get a little bit weird. And, and usually the best way to get weird and actually do it in a positive way is to make assumptions and follow that assumption all the way through and, you know, and not hedge. So I'll go back to, you know, a, a slate where I actually won uh, this year, uh, where I was able to actually win a tournament, and it was the Cleveland-Cincinnati game. And that was one where I decided, okay, my base assumption is going to be that the Browns are going to win this game, and they're going to win it, you know, by really controlling this quite a bit, and they're going to do so on the ground. So I'm going to play Chubb, and I'm going to play Hunt, because, you know, I think they could rack up two, 300 rushing yards I'm going to hope that maybe, you know, one of those guys gets the receiving touch, the receiving touchdown or something like that. And, you know, there might not be a lot of people that have both of those running back plays because I think most people would pick one. And then I sort of work off of that assumption. It's like, all right, well, if the Browns are going to be way up ahead and a Chubb and Hunt are both going to have enough touchdowns, you know, to pay off, that means Baker's probably not throwing for multiple touchdowns, which means I can leave Baker, you know, off of my roster. Yep. And then, all right. So if the, if the Browns are going to get way up early, then what's going to happen? Well, since he's going to have to pass, right? So that means Joe Mixon can take a seat and, you know, we probably want to play Burrow. And then it's figuring out, all right, well, who's one of these last two spots? Well, okay, if Burrow's passing a lot, uh, what does that mean? It means we got to at least probably play one Cincinnati pass catcher. 
And so at that point, I went with Tyler Boyd. I, that was just lucky that I went with Tyler Boyd, who had the best game that night. You know, I definitely could have gone with A.J. Green or something instead, but we went with Boyd, and that turned out to be the right play. And then I sort of looked at, okay, well, that's one position left, and who do I want? And I, I could have gone with Green at that point to go on with Burrow. I ended up being getting lucky again. I went with Odell Beckham um, in that particular right. slate because I just figured, all right, well, if they're way up, you know, maybe there's probably going to be a passing touchdown, and let's just assume that Beckham gets that. And so you build a... You know, you build a roster where you it's a little bit odd, but at the same time, you can see how, okay, if this game starts a certain way, everything's going to fall into place. Because the thing with these single-game slates is so many of the plays are duplicated that you really don't want to play – you don't want to look at these plays in isolation, right? I don't want to look at this game and be like, hey, well, Russell Wilson, that's, that's a pretty good play. You know, like he gets a lot of fantasy points, and, you know, I think Lockett's a good play, and yeah, Carson, he's going up again. He's, he's a favorite. He'll probably do pretty good. And, you know, Thielen's good. Like, all, all of those things can be true. But I think you just have to make some hard choices about how you think a particular game is going to go. Um, and then really follow that through in a possibly extreme manner. And you want to do that for two reasons, right? Number one, um, you want your lineup to correlate. Because if correlation is really how you have the best chance to win, right? The chances that you pick out a bunch of different players that don't really have any influence on each other doing well and that they all hit at the same time, at that point, you're just playing the lottery, right? So you need to be able to make educated guesses. And the other thing is if you actually win, right, if you get the five right plays and the person in the MVP slot, and really that's what you need. You, it's really hard to win a single game tournament without having the exact perfect lineup, right? You usually don't need a perfect lineup to win on Sundays. You just need a really good lineup. You need the exact correct combination to be able to win one of these. And so you have to build your lineup with the base assumption that you're getting the exact right combination. And so at that point, you need to think, okay, well, if I'm going to do that, how do I build a lineup where if I'm correct, I'm not sharing this prize with 100 other people? Right. Because that sucks, right? Even with the best possible lineup that you can create through whatever optimizer you use, you know, whatever projections you do, the odds that you hit the perfect lineup, you get the nuts. Like those are those odds aren't very good. You're probably only going to get that once or twice, you know, in a season. And when you when you hit it, you really don't want to share it, all, you know, with everyone else on the planet. That's so, the worst feeling. Yeah, right. It's like, oh fuck, you know, <laughs> like I, I I actually finally hit it. I got so lucky, and now I'm screwed, right? And and you know, you might say to that, well, you know, if I'm getting a lineup that everyone else has, it's probably a more likely lineup to hit. And you're probably not wrong, but. The reality is like so much of these slates is randomness and so much of it is just who gets the touchdowns that, you know, if you're talking about a lineup that there's going to be 150 entries in a tournament, people having that same lineup, another lineup with, you know, only 10 entries on that lineup, is the 150 entry lineup probably more optimal? Is it probably more likely to hit? Yeah. Yeah. I would say it is. Is it 15 times more likely? No, I don't think there's really any lineup, you know, that's 15 times more likely to hit than any other lineup, as long as they're somewhat reasonable and as long as you can make a case for your picks. And so that's why when I'm building mine, you know, one way to the easiest way to differentiate is with the MVP, right? I need to think about how the game's going to go, and that needs to go right funnel through the MVP. I rarely pick a quarterback as the MVP, and if I am picking a quarterback as the MVP, the rest of my lineup needs to get a little wacky, right? Because they're obviously the most obvious picks, right? They're the ones you project to score the most points. I usually don't do that. And I usually assume, okay, either, you know, either running back or receiver is going to get two or more touchdowns in this game. And if they do, 
you know, they're going to be the NDP, MVP. Um, if you do pick a quarterback, I usually get a little weird. That's when I just assume, okay, so one team's just going to annihilate this other team. So mm-hmm. let's say that I think the Seahawks, you know, if I wanted to do a Russ MVP lineup, I'd be like, all right, so the Seahawks are just going to obliterate the crap out of the Vikings. So Russ is going to be the MVP because he's going to throw for like five touchdowns. So at that point, it's like, all right, well, if I'm picking Russ as the MVP, you know, I know he's having a day. So that means I probably got to play, you know, Lockett and Metcalf because I got to hope that they're both viable because they both need to be viable to buoy Russ up that much. And if only one of them's catching all the touchdowns, then I just want that dude as the MVP. Then I don't want Russ the MVP. So I probably got to go Lockett and I got to go Metcalf. And then, you know, I got to think, all right, so if they're way up, then I got to bring it back with someone. So let's say I put in Thielen or Jefferson. And then that other pick, it's like, you know, what I probably wouldn't play Carson, right? Because if Carson's if Carson's getting rushing touchdowns, then at that point, that probably hurts my Russ MVP situation. But you could play Carson if you just think they're going to get way, way up and, you know, they're going to score five, six touchdowns and maybe everybody's worth it. So that's not terrible. You know, maybe you play Greg Olson and you think, okay, Russ is going to throw four touchdowns and one of them's going to go to Greg. Um, or something I do a decent amount if I'm playing, probably not in this game because I think it'll be so high scoring, but in general, if I'm playing a quarterback in the MVP, oftentimes I pair them with their kicker because I go, you know what? Like this game is a situation where I'm playing the quarterback because I'm assuming they're going to win by two touchdowns or more. Yeah. That means I'm, there's not a lot of value in the other side. That means I'm hoping that none of these touchdowns on this side are rushing. So, you know, where do I go with that? I, I might play two pass catchers and maybe I'll play the kicker because they're probably getting to cat three or four or five point afters if I'm right. Yep. And, you know, let's toss in a, f- a couple of field goals and maybe they're going to get 12, 13 points. And maybe that's more than, you know, Greg Olson catching a, a you know, a touchdown. So, and people don't want to play kickers. So that's a way to sort of, to justify it. But True. probably more likely for me, I'm going to spend a lot of time uh, probably with Metcalf in my MVP or with Thielen in my MVP. Maybe Lockett too, I think would be fun. I think there's so many, like you said, it, it's really hard to stack a game. If you're going to go single, no matter how good it is. To me, it is the hardest play to hit because it's just you're so limited and not only limited, but you have to be perfect. There's no room mm-hmm. for it. And if you're not perfect, I feel like you're not hedging your bets. Uh, I like to avoid the single game slate, so I'm not a lot of help with this. But if you do, I can't really add anything more to what Jacob had mentioned. Just be willing to go way outside of the box because the people that go and look at other lineups if you can that have one at all and you'll see they are man they are out there most of the time so oh yeah you got to join them and that's that's the funny thing and uh one thing i'd note too the last thing i want to note if you're if you're a DraftKings player or FanDuel player you know everything i was kind of phrasing there is in a FanDuel mindset in DraftKings, most that doesn't change but the biggest difference between the two of them is not just that there's one more spot in a DraftKings, but on FanDuel, all of the prices are the same no matter where you put them. So, for instance, Russ is 16K. You put him in the MVP, he's still 16K. Um, you know, with DraftKings, they call it the captain slot. And whoever you put in the captain slot, not only does it count their fantasy points at 1.5x value, but you have to pay 1.5x their salary. So it even makes it more punitive to put a quarterback or a really high salaried player there. So, you know, on DraftKings, that's where you probably want to even make more assumptions and look at, a, you know, a mid to lower priced player. And 
you know, don't get too crazy because realistically to pay off captain or MVP, they probably need to get about 25 to 30 raw fantasy points. But that's where you want to look at a slate and go, okay, who's, who's decently lowly priced but has a chance to be the most, you know, high-performing player on, on this slate? And that's probably who I want to put in that captain slot and get the most out of, out of my value. Yeah, can't really. Again, I can't really add any more than than that. That's that's as perfect as you can get for an a a real shot at a single game slate breakdown. I think that's the right game to to target. I think it's going to be really exciting and a lot of fun. So that would be the I guess strategy breakdown. But last week we did a clear rundown of every game and who we liked and who we didn't. Um, so we have a couple of games that we want to talk about this week, kind of in the same way, same format, uh, that we're going to break down. I think I have what I'm looking at seven. So tack that in with Seattle, Minnesota, that brings us to eight. The first game I want to talk about that we're going to move into, uh, is your favorite game of the week. This is Carolina, Atlanta. Why is Carolina and Atlanta your favorite game, even with guys like Julio and Ridley possibly out? for that game why is this game your favorite game and who do you like within the game yeah so you know this week i think uh it's not quite as beautiful as the slate as last week was um i think you know if i look at sort of these high over under games that we're going to run through and we got quite a few of them this week one of the biggest problems with a lot of them is that the favored team um is the home team which that troubles me because you know if, if you get it if you get a game where one team ends up winning by two touchdowns or more um, that can kind of ruin the fantasy party sometimes, right? Sometimes you get backups out there in the fourth quarter. You get one team trying to run the clock out. You get the other team, you know, throwing a weird guys. Um, it just doesn't create a lot of high leverage situations. And sometimes it can really slow the pace of the game down, especially on one side, you know, and especially when the favorite is usually the team with the more fun fantasy options, right? You don't want them out there in the fourth quarter. So, but this week, the reason why I like Carolina-Atlanta so much is, of all of those games, this is a game with a super tight spread. Atlanta's favored by one point. So basically, this is a pick em. Um, It's indoors, which is great, and it's a pace-up game. Both these teams are above average in situation neutral pace. So, you know, from a fundamentals perspective, this game really is. And what we saw last week is that the fundamentals matter. Um, you know, the pace-up games, Cleveland-Dallas, um, was a pace-up game, and it was indoors. And that was a game that hit huge, right? Um, we looked at, you know, Minnesota-Houston. Got a little slow. Uh, it, it hit fine, but even with bad defenses, it didn't pop off the way that we were, you know, we would have been hoping for it to. Um, and so the fundamentals are really, really aligned here, which is something that I like. In terms of the Atlanta side, um, I would like this game even more if Julio Jones was playing. Um, he's questionable, but he didn't practice at all this week. So I would be expecting very little out of Julio. I, I, would, I, I would certainly expect him to sit. Um, if he does play, I think that's still a positive for the game because, you know, as we saw in the first half, if he's out there, you know, whether he's productive or not, he's certainly at least going to draw coverage. And so to me... I don't imagine, like, there will be 0% chance I'm playing Julio when he didn't even get in a limited practice this week because the risk of re-injury or decoy status, I think, is way too high to justify the price. But I will still like the game more if he plays because I will like Ridley more if he plays. I'll like Gage more if he plays. Um, I'll like Matt Ryan more than he, that he plays. 
and you know I'll like Carolina more because I think then that, that Atlanta will score more points. However, I'm going to assume he doesn't. Ridley, I still like. Um, he was playing limited snaps last week, but he got upgraded to a full practice on Friday and does not carry an injury designation. So I think what we saw on Monday night was limited Ridley. Um, I don't think we're seeing that this week. He put up over 100 yards without Julio um, in the only other game that he's played the season without him entirely when healthy, and that was against Chicago. Carolina's secondary is worse than the Bears' secondary. I don't have very many concerns. I think like the biggest thing with Ridley is how is he going to handle you know alpha attention without Julio? I don't think, frankly, Carolina is good enough to be able to provide alpha attention that really scares me off of Calvin Ridley. Um, and he's going to be getting a lot of volume, I would imagine, and you know volume, deep volume, and red zone volume, um, which is what he's seen this year. So I like Ridley. Um, Alameda Zacchaeus is very interesting. He did not make my plays of the week, which we'll talk about later, but he was very, very close. Um, If he would have scored, oh my goodness. All that was separating him from being elite wide receiver one status for the week. It was crazy. They just went to him over and over and over again. He's a a great player. He is the all-time leader in in receiving production at the University of Virginia. Go Wahoos. Um, (laughs) He's just 5'8". Stat of the day. Yeah, I know. I pulled down right into my ass. Um, he is—he's uh, only five eight. Um, he doesn't really profile necessarily as that big play guy. He is more of an agility burst guy. That being said, he's seen deep looks now in consecutive games. And for anyone that remembered him last year, you probably remembered him because he had a ninety-nine yard touchdown. I think against Carolina. Actually, I think it was at home against Carolina. I'm not hundred percent sure on that part, but um, he's shown you know that he will get deep looks in this offense more so than a Russell Gage, certainly. So Zacchaeus, we've seen him have volume. Um, We've seen him get deep looks. We haven't seen him get red zone looks. Um, So maybe that's just part of the replacing Julio package as you just get ignored in the red zone. But I don't think that the, uh, I don't don't think that the sample is so big that we can just assume he'll never get, you know, a red zone look. So $4,800, there's no Julio. I'm into Zacchaeus. I think Gage is fine. Um, I still like him more for cash games than for tournaments just because he's such a low average depth of target player that he's a guy that probably needs like 10 catches to get up to 100 yards. Um, and that, that just makes it difficult. You're really relying on multiple touchdowns out of him. Ryan's fine. I don't love him without Julio. He's, he's never been a particularly efficient passer when Julio Jones has not been in the lineup. If you want to really deep stab it to go you know, pivot off of Zacchaeus, Christian Blake was getting some work. Um, but I think with Ridley fully healthy, I think we'll see primarily just uh, Ridley, Zacchaeus, and Gage. I don't think we'll see a lot of Blake um, in the lineup this week. Um, when we get uh, you know getting into Gurley, I'm off Gurley. Um, I think you know we saw the two touchdown game against Green Bay. He could get two touchdowns in any given week, but he really needs it. Um, we mentioned last week that 22 Fanduel points is kind of the magic number that you need. His 22 Fanduel points necessarily involves two touchdowns because he's getting very limited receiving work and he's not getting enough volume rushing and he's not looking particularly explosive. I think with Gurley, you're looking at a guy who's going to get between 14 to 18 carries, 50 to 80 rushing yards, um, and probably only one or two catches. And that's sort of 10 points max without you know touchdowns. And so there he needs two to get to that 20-point Fanduel range. And really to get to the point where you're sorely missing out on him, he probably needs three touchdowns. And that's not what I'm betting on. On the Carolina side, I love the Carolina side of this game even more. Teddy Bridgewater, he 
He's been using his legs more. Um, I, that's such a weird phrase, using his legs. But he's been running the ball more, <laughs> um, you know. Yeah. And, uh, that's one of those old- Anderson. Yeah, Robbie Anderson looks fantastic. He's only $6,200, so he remains a value. DJ Moore at $6,600. His profile is still good on the season. He's still getting a ton of air yards. He's still over 20% target share. He's just not getting the touchdowns. I don't think he – I think he's fallen fully out of cash game consideration because we've seen him bust too many times. But from a tournament perspective, especially after he burnt people while popular last week, I think he could be you know, a decent, a decent option for – because he's in just as great of a spot as he was last week, even better of a spot. But I think he was so popular and he burned so many people that we can get back on DJ Moore. Uh, Mike Davis has been an elite DFS asset. I'll talk more about him later. And Ian Thomas is kind of interesting this week. The Falcons have been abysmal against tight ends this year. They got killed by Greg Olson. They got killed by Dalton Schultz. They got killed by Big Bob Ponyan. Uh, Ian Thomas has been completely unproductive and completely unusable. Um, however, he is running a lot of routes. He's actually run more routes in the season than Curtis Samuel. He's just not getting the looks. But Atlanta, missing Ricardo Allen, missing Keanu Neal, you know, he's going to have room to run. And if he's open, I expect Teddy Bridgewater to find him. Yeah, it's there's a lot to like in this game period. Like, I, I want... I'm going to play DJ Moore in a lot of lineups just so I can try to help Will and give him confidence that could... <laughs> happen i need it not just for dfs but i need it for a lot of dynasty lineups he just man he needs to score i think that i think all would be forgiven if dj moore could fight last week he was wide open in the end zone wide open just standing in the back of the end zone teddy looks at him and goes nah i'm gonna check it down to this this like fullback underneath and you just see dj moore's shoulders just sag like he was so sad that he was open in the end zone they just didn't throw it to him so Hopefully Teddy makes up for that this week because he's definitely a big baller in my plays. Next up, we have Cincinnati and Baltimore. What do you like about this game? To me, I feel like this game is a little one-sided, but Washington proved that anyone can put up some fantasy points when it comes to playing Baltimore, especially when Baltimore goes up. So what do you like about this game? Yeah, I won't spend as much time as I just labored on uh, on this one, but... Um, yeah, the Baltimore side is the preferable side. Um, you know, Lamar Jackson, I think, has is, is become, I don't know if it's possible for Lamar Jackson to ever be forgotten, but to the extent that it is possible, I think that, uh, you know, seeing Josh Allen and Kyler and Russ and Dak putting up all these huge games has made people, I think, you know, see Lamar as more of one of those top guys, not the top guy fairly, by the way. I think that's that's totally reasonable. But, you know, Lamar is still has, you know, the best rushing floor and ceiling of any quarterback in the league. And while he hasn't been overly impressive throwing the ball this year, um, we've seen that in the past. And he's going up against a Cincinnati team that that offers very little resistance defensively, um, either to Lamar's rushing or passing. He's carved up Cincinnati uh, both meetings last year. So I would expect a really, really good uh, game out of Lamar. I think he's definitely playable in tournaments at lower uh, ownership than you might usually get. Hollywood Brown is someone that I'm going to be attacking aggressively. Um, he's at $6,100. I've seen more talk about Hollywood Brown on Twitter than I was expecting or that I would like, um, indicating that maybe his ownership will be higher than I would have wanted it. But he's a guy that, you know, similar to DJ Moore, he just hasn't scored a touchdown this year. But his fundamentals have been really good. Um, he is, you know, seeing a top 10 air yard share uh, week over week. He's getting deep looks. His snap rate is way up from where it was last year. 
So, you know, one of these big plays has just got to turn into a touchdown. Um, and I think he's going to be just fine this week. Mark Andrews, um, you know, I don't know if I'll be super in on Andrews coming off a two-touchdown game just because I think he'll be very popular and there's other tight ends I like just as much. But historically, he's just eviscerated the Cincinnati Bengals. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's hard to, to shy away from Mark Andrews in the spot where he's, he's a very good play. Still not touching the backfield. Gus Edwards actually led this backfield in snap rate last week, which good for Gus Edwards. Um, as much as he's a fantasy troll, he's also been, frankly, the best running back on Baltimore this year, if you look at any sort of advanced metric. So I can't like really hate them for wanting to play Gus Edwards. That being said, none of them get pass work. They split the rushing work in three. Just no thanks. Um, on the Cincinnati side, we'll see. For this game to really reach expectations... Um, as a game stack game, you have to assume that Cincinnati's going to be able to move the ball on Baltimore. And I don't think that's a crazy assumption. Um, Baltimore's defense has been good, but it has not been nearly as dominant as it was last year through four games. Uh, they came out, they had a ridiculously dominant game against Cleveland. Um, since then, they've been a little bit more pedestrian. I mean, they got absolutely sliced up by the Chiefs. It's hard to blame them for that. Uh, the Chiefs can slice up most teams, but they certainly didn't you know, give anything in the form of serious resistance. Um, and then against Washington last week, they were pretty pedestrian. I mean, they played one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL, one of the worst offense in the NFL, and they gave up a lot of yards. They gave up a lot of plays. They had tackling issues with Antonio Gibson. Um, Terry McLaurin went over 100 yards against them. Um, and so I think that they are, you know, I don't think that they're a defense you want to exploit, but to me, I don't fear Baltimore's defense the way that I used to fear them. I think, I think that if Cincinnati gets down in this game and they start passing, I think that they actually will be able to put up fantasy points for you. Um, I'm still not going with Mixon just because of game script. I don't know if I would be able to play Burrow, but I will definitely play Tyler Boyd. Um, you know, he's going to run almost all of his routes from the slot. That means A.J. Green and T. Higgins will be dealing with the Marcus Peters, Marlon Humphrey situation, and Tyler Boyd won't. So um, I think that Boyd... Uh, is probably going to be the wide receiver of choice. I still like Higgins because his workload has been really solid, but I would be more worried about his matchup than I would be about Boyd's. You're the Baltimore fan. What, what are you looking at in this game? I'll say that I'm not as confident in Baltimore's defense as I was. Their rush defense is definitely sus. The, uh, the pass defense, I feel like they care more about getting picks than stopping completions. I think that that's just how they're playing this year. I think that if they don't have the interception... They're just trying to force a fumble. If you watch every completion against Baltimore, they catch it and two guys are punching the ball. I think all they care about is turnovers, and I think they're confident in scoring enough that they don't really care if you put up yards. So I'm actually, I like Tyler Boyd. I think Baltimore is going to be down a safety. I don't know. I didn't catch to see if Deshaun Elliott is going to be healthy or not. Uh, he was shaken up in the last game, and they, they're, they're hurting. I mean, Chuck Clark has been okay, not what they were hoping for. I mean, they're definitely susceptible. I like T. Higgins because I think Baltimore can get burned deep. Uh, they've shown that they can get burned deep. Double moves on Marcus Peters is is how you win. And you just, whoever you see Humphreys lined up against, and I actually think it will be Boyd in the slot, uh, Humphreys. They've done that in the past when it comes to shutting a guy down. Humphreys does move inside, and for that amount of money, he fucking better. Um, so Boyd does scare me off a little bit, but I think Higgins is the guy because he'll double move peters and leave him behind so hmm. all you need is one deep bomb from t and you're you're feeling pretty good he i think he's tied for the most uh, receiving touchdowns by a rookie he's an interesting yeah. play they're gonna be down 
I would definitely play T. Higgins over Boyd this week. Interesting. Okay, I'm I'm still Boyd over Higgins just because of the volume, but I I definitely see I definitely see the point there. I think it's gonna be interesting cat and mouse game because Taylor moves his receivers around in all sorts of ways, right? He's out there playing four wide receiver, five wide receiver sets. So it'll it'll you know it's almost like in hockey where you try to see like who has the last change and they're trying to do matchups. I'm interested to see how committed um, Taylor is to keep Boyd off of Humphrey and how much um, uh, Martindale wants to pit. Um, uh, that's his name, right? Did I screw that up? Oh, yeah. Wink Martindale. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Here we go. I don't know why I thought I screwed that up, but how much, uh, yeah, how much Taylor wants to keep um, Boyd away from Humphrey, how much Martindale wants to keep Humphrey on Boyd. It's going to be really interesting. You know, I'm confident enough that, that Boyd is just going to see relentless amounts of volume and comeback mode that I think it's fine. But I, I, I definitely take your insight as a Ravens fan there um, that maybe T. Higgins is worth another look. Well, here's, here's why. So on DraftKings, as I mentioned before, that's what I follow. Uh, DraftKings has T. Higgins. I just had it right in front of my face. What did I do with it? Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. 40 right here. Oh my goodness, Tom. Ay, ay, ay. Tyler Boyd, 6,200. Mm. That's more than DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson this week. So I'm looking at his price and going, nah, I kind of want to stack that other game. Maybe I'll avoid it, but I'm looking mm. for maybe what my third receiver is going to be or maybe uh, something in the flex. And I'm looking, T Higgins is 4,900. Oh, wow. Okay. Value wow, with that's very different. Kings. So, so when it comes to playing the flex that you or the third wide receiver that maybe you want that touchdown upside, that's why I like Higgins more than Boyd a little bit more within the matchup because I think there's a more likelihood that he's going to hit at a rate that other people won't have him in. So that's one of those weird ones we talk about at the front between sites. So just just for reference sake, on FanDuel, Boyd is six thousand and Higgins is fifty four hundred. So it's it's it's, it's Less than half of the difference, actually, that is on DraftKings. So with FanDuel, you're almost playing them heads up. That's why I'm more on Boyd. I would agree with you. At a $1,300 discrepancy, I would much rather play Higgins. Right. It, I think it just gives you more flexibility in your lineup. So Yeah. All right. What's our well, next game here? Next, The next game we have is a game I'm super excited about, and it will definitely be on my TV rotation when it comes down to the four or five screen onslaught that uh, goes on in my household here in the war room, it's Jacksonville and Houston. Love this game. Love the players. I hate that I traded Wolf Fuller away this week, but it was necessary. So why don't you break down who you like and who you love and try not to rub in the Wolf Fuller a little bit? Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's, this is going to be another, another interesting game. Uh, this is the only game on the slate that features two bottom 10 pass defenses. Um, and that's fantastic because, you know, uh, past happy offenses, no matter who you roster, even running backs, um, is really good for DFS because targets are worth more than carries for running backs. And from a pace perspective, every time you throw the ball, you're probably either getting a big play or you're getting an incompletion that stops the clock. And, you know, that's just nothing but good things can come out of that. Um, concerns for this game would be pace. Jacksonville plays by far the slowest in the league. Um, and you know, especially when they get ahead, they play exceedingly slow. What makes me a little bit happier here is that Houston is a touchdown favorite in this game. And if they're the team that gets up top, that will force Jacksonville to play a little faster than they would typically be inclined to. And I think that will keep this game, um, you know, not just competitive, 
but it'll keep it well-paced enough to pay off for DFS. With Houston, uh, this is the first game of the uh, new era with Romeo Cornell as head coach. No more Bill O'Brien. So how we view this Houston offense, I think, is you know up for debate. It's, it's, uh, it's still going to be Deshaun Watson, obviously. Uh, Will Fuller has been the clear wide receiver one. I think we should expect him to remain that way. In terms of their pace, in terms of their past run tendencies, I'm not sure. Um, I would be avoiding, you know, David Johnson, for instance, in this spot because his snap rate went back below 60 last week with Duke Johnson. Um, and I think how the new coaching, uh, you know, staff, and it's not totally a new coaching staff. It's, you know, Romeo Cornell's promoted from inside, but how he wants to use David Johnson versus Duke Johnson. I don't think anybody can be quite sure. So I would rather avoid that situation. I'm going back to Deshaun Watson. Um, he was pretty average again last week in a highly owned spot. Um, you know, against a really poor defense, he gets that same situation this week. And I just have to hope that talent's going to win out. And, you know, maybe similar to DJ Moore, because he was popular last week, because he didn't really deliver, um, you know, maybe this week we get him in lower ownership than he deserves based on that matchup. So I'm going to be in on Deshaun Watson. I'm super, super, super in on Will Fuller. He's finally being priced up appropriately. He's just below 7,000. But at this point, I don't even know if that's enough. I, I think that his workload is frankly elite. Um, he has fully supplanted Brandon Cooks. He is the clear number one wide receiver in Houston. Um, and he's seeing red zone targets. He's seeing end zone targets. He's seeing deep targets. And he's seeing a lot of targets. So every game other than game two where he was battling a hamstring injury and he was on and off the field, he's just been an exceptional play. On the Jacksonville side, um, looks like it's wheels up for DJ Chark. Uh, last week he came back. He had a big game. He's going to be running routes against Bradley Roby because Roby, at least, uh, well, Cornell is remaining as um, you know as head coach. I imagine the defensive philosophy will say the same. Roby's been one of the few corners of the NFL that actually will shadow number one wide receivers, and I don't fear him even slightly. Um, he has given up over ten yards per target when uh, targeted this season. I think DJ Chark is going to be a smash play, getting up to go against Bradley Roby, who's been burned repeatedly on virtually every single play uh, in this game. Chenault, I think, is also fine. He's just 5,300 on FanDuel. Um, he, play, he ran less routes than Keelan Cole. However, he exited the fourth quarter with a hamstring injury, so I think he was running ahead of Keelan Cole prior to that. He got in a full practice today. He's been taken off the injury report, so he's a full go. He'll get usage you know, all throughout the offense. Um, I won't be playing Gardner um, just because I think that if they do happen to get up, they want to play slow and they want to run the ball a lot. But I'm not against it. I'm also definitely open to playing James Robinson. Thoughts on this game? It's all going to come down to the value. Right now, like I said last week, James Robinson has stopped being a value on DraftKings. Right now, he's 6700 He's the sixth most expensive running back. Guys below him, Miles Sanders, Kareem Hunt, oh, wow. Joe Mixon, Josh Jacobs, Um I mean, Jonathan Taylor, Raheem Mostert, Jared McKinnon, Kenyon Drake, Todd Gurley. These are all guys ranked below James Robinson. So he's out for me. He's not someone I'm going to play. The player I'm looking at playing in this game, you went over a lot. I'm only going to give one. And that's Chenault. Chenault, 4,500 on DraftKings still. Uh, I believe it was five catches for 86 yards last week. Very easily could have scored in the game they were down. I think they're going to be down again. I think that a lot of the attention is going to be on Chark. But if you think Roby's bad... Boy, there are other corners on the <laughs> course. 
So I like Chenault. He gets used a lot of ways. I think him scoring is going to be about as much of a sure shot as you can get. And again, I like David Johnson. I'm playing him a lot. So that's that's about all I have for that game. I think yeah, Chenault- I'm with you on all that. Aside from aside from the David Johnson, I'm going to be continuing to fade David Johnson. But we'll see how that works out. Maybe maybe with the new coaching staff, he's going to be you know able to turn what's been a decent workload into some more efficient fantasy production. For what it's worth, James Robinson is the 14th most expensive running back on FanDuel at just 6,600. So he is—he's beneath—he's beneath Todd Gurley, frankly, um, on FanDuel. So I'm—I'm going to be playing some James Robinson. He's not in my core four, but I think he's—he's he's like fifth. He's right after that. Here's here's why I I'm not out on David Johnson altogether. Um, uh, Houston went away from running the ball because they got down early against Mini, which was a problem. But he didn't look bad while running the ball. He still had 16 attempts on the ground. He had three targets. He caught two of them. He was 29 yards. Whoever made the Houston schedule, which just had to have been pissing themselves laughing at them. Kansas City, Baltimore, Pittsburgh. No one expected Minnesota's defense to be bad, but all of a sudden they showed up to stop the run. Sold out for it. Uh, And they lost the game. So, I mean, it worked. But... I don't think Jacksonville can stop anybody. I mean, they made Miles Gaskin look like a stud that people in the dynasty community all of a sudden were going all in for. So if this was going to be a game that other people might be fading a running back like David Johnson, this is the game that I want to play David Johnson because, yeah, he might goose you, but if you're playing David Johnson, you're ready for it. So if it happens to you emotionally, you're ready. So that's why I'm not afraid to play him this week. This is the week where I'd want to. I think that's fine. I just I've never been as big on David Johnson or Gurley um, as you this season. I just I just don't think they're explosive players. Like I, I want my running backs to have a chance at like taking a screen pass to the house for fifty yards. I haven't seen that since, from David Johnson since like twenty sixteen. Um, I just I think he looks fine. I think that he is same with Gurley. Frankly, like I think that they both look fine. Um, I think that they're both you know. They're really good running backs. They're smart running backs. They know how to play the position of running back. That being said, that top gear to me just doesn't look like it's there anymore. They don't look like a guy who's going to be taking the stretch play and turning into a 60-yard touchdown. And I just I want that upside out of my running backs um, because that means that if you're not getting that and you're just sort of hoping for a four to five yards of carry type volume-based performance, it means you're you're open to game script going against you and you probably need two touchdowns. Like I just... I just don't know if I can see, you know, I don't know if I see like 150 yards on the ground out of David Johnson unless he gets like 30 carries. I guess that's my concern. I just don't think he's explosive. But I, I don't think he's like a bad play. I think he's a fine play. I think in against Jacksonville, Houston could go up, and I think that he's just got the touchdown upside this week. And that's, if I'm picking a second running back that's a value, we talked about value play running backs. I think he's the guy. He's, I think there's just touchdown upside. There's no one else on the DraftKings slate that I'm looking at that I'm really like stoked about, and I think you can get value elsewhere. So that's that's about it for that game. Uh, Kansas City, Oakland. You have it as your third favorite game. Why do you like this one aside from the obvious? Yeah, so I like this game because um, I like Oakland. Uh, I like Oakland's offense. Now that doesn't mean I don't like the Chiefs' offense. Obviously, I love the Chiefs' offense. Um, you know, but it's sort of similar to sort of similar to what I was talking about with Cincinnati, Baltimore, right? I think there's three games we're going to get into the Giants and Dallas shortly, right? But three of the most fun teams in the NFL are playing against teams that are up by you know two touchdowns uh, in terms of the spread, right? Kansas City, Baltimore, and Dallas. And so I think what we have to decide is 
which of these other teams are going to be able to keep pace to make this you know, a really fun game to go from a one-sided stack to a game that we really want to invest in heavily. And I like Oakland's offense. The first two weeks, which were the only two weeks that they've had Henry Ruggs, Brian Edwards, um, and Darren Waller all on the field and healthy. Um, those have been weeks um, that the Oakland offense has put up over 30 both of those weeks. Henry Ruggs practiced in full this week. He looks he, like he's going to be back in the lineup. Um, I think Edwards is still questionable, but it seems like it's very possible he'll be on the field. Waller, 100% healthy. Jacobs is 100% healthy. So, you know, I think the, the only time we've really seen this Oakland offense struggle this year was against New England, which was their toughest opponent. But at the same time, they were playing very shorthanded. Um, they were playing shorthanded again last week against Buffalo, and they showed still some pretty good signs of life operating with really only Renfro and Waller out of their pass catchers. So Chiefs defense, I think, is underrated um, because it used to be really bad when, you know, the Mahomes era started. I think they've gotten gradually better under Spagnolo, and I don't think that people have totally realized it. That being said, I think Oakland offensively, I don't think we have to view them anymore as a team to only use in great matchups. I think that they are a team that actually is a good offense where we can look to them even in average to slightly difficult matchups. And, you know, maybe I'm wrong, but I'm, I'm willing to take a bet on them because they have explosive playmakers. So on the Chiefs side, you know, it's, it's not hard. You want to play Mahomes. You want to play Kelsey. You want to play Tyreek Hill. Um, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is my favorite running back on the slate this week, and I'm going to talk about him on player picks. Um, you know, I'm, I'm probably not messing around with Hardman yet just because he still hasn't cracked 50% of the snaps um, in a game where everyone else has been healthy. Um, I, I don't know. Wat, Watkins... It seems like his explosion also seems to have left him. So I'm probably not going to be playing a lot of walk-ins. But, you know, the core four on Kansas City, I'll be using a lot of them. On the Oakland side, I definitely won't get the car this week. Uh, but I will play Waller for sure. I think there's enough value that we can spend up a little at tight end. So I'll be playing Waller. And, you know, all of the top tight ends are on the slate. The top four tight ends, Waller, Kittle, Andrews, Kelsey, are all in the main slate. That means that we're not getting a situation where everyone who wants to spend up a tight end is using the same tight end. We'll actually get all four of those guys at a pretty reasonable ownership level. So I want to play Waller. Um, I don't know if I can get to Jacobs. I'll probably splash him into a couple game stacks where I assume that Oakland you know, gets up early and then they can try and run the ball with Jacobs. But overall, if, if Oakland did actually get up in this game, you know, I don't know how much I love how that's going to go. Cause I think they would run Jacobs a lot. I think they'd play really slow and I think it would hurt this game overall. So I'll probably only play a little bit of Jacobs. Um, I will, I will be playing rugs this week for sure. Um, the only healthy half that he had, he was all over the place. He led the entire NFL in air yard chair. He had well over 50%. Um, he's been practicing in full this week. So I have zero injury concerns about him. Um, I think people have it in their minds you know, he, he's been injured the last couple of weeks, so people kind of forgot about him. Week two, he didn't really do anything against New Orleans. Um, and people, you know, I think will take away uh, bad things, bad vibes from Henry Ruggs in that game, uh, especially because it was an island game on Monday Night Football. But he practiced, you know, not at all Wednesday or Thursday. He was limited on a Friday that week. So I think he was out there essentially playing a decoy role. I don't really read into that game too much. This week he's been practicing in full. So I'm going to load up Ruggs, and I'm going to load up Waller, and I'm going to load up the Chiefs. What do you think on this one? I'm definitely I'm playing the KC tight end. I'm not playing Waller. Uh, I think I'm going to spend that little bit more for Kelsey because I think Waller is going to be the more popular play because of price. But I, I agree. I think people want to hate on Rugs because Brian Edwards is on that team. 
So you tack that into not producing and being hurt. I think he's going to get faded. I mean, he's 4,700 on DraftKings. So I will be finding so many excuses to put him into the lineup. T. Higgins is 4,900. Uh, I know Casey's defense, like you mentioned, is really good at shutting down wide receivers, but he's definitely a guy that if you want a same, same thing with Higgins going against a not-so-great matchup on paper, but there's a guy that has that explosiveness that only needs one catch at that cheap, yeah, he's definitely the play here for sure. And I just saw confirmed, actually, Brian Edwards is out uh, for this week. So I think that's more volume for Ruggs. I wouldn't be surprised if in this kind of game without Edwards, they're going to try and get him creative touches, right? I, I could easily foresee two or three jet sweeps for him. I, could, I think they're going to move him all over the formation. So I think they're going to find ways to get him in space because I think that they know he's their most explosive playmaker in a game where going up against that Chiefs offense, they know they're going to need home runs in this game. Um, and, you know, with a guy like Derek Carr, who's not necessarily the most prone to throwing deep often, they're going to need rugs to make a couple of those home run plays happen with his legs. So I think they're going to want to get him in space. I think they're going to want to utilize everything that he brings to the table. So I'm, I'm excited for to get some rugs into my lineups this week. I'm going to be looking for excuses to get him in lineups, man. Like, I, I'm excited to watch him play football again. Uh, New York Giants and Dallas. This is your second favorite game on the slate. Why do you love this game, even though it's against the Poo Poo Giants? Yeah, I mean, this one, I, I, philosophically, um, you know, I'm not going to repeat myself. It's just like the last two games uh, that we talked about with, with Cincy, with Oakland, this one really comes down to can the Giants keep up? No matter what I'm playing Zeke, he's, you know, he's, I think, independent of salary. He's the best running back play on the main slate. Um, salary considered, he's still a top four play for sure, in my opinion. Um, you know, Dallas plays so unbelievably fast. They play four seconds faster per play at neutral situations than the second fastest team. Um, so, you know, they're not a team where you really have concerns about them getting ahead and taking the air out of the ball. They, they're going to get ahead, and then they're just going to try and keep piling it on and give more opportunities for the Giants to, to try and keep pace. So I want to play Zeke. I'm definitely not afraid of playing Dak, even in a spot where they're up big. I'm not afraid of his wide receivers either. Um, historically, I'm not 100% sure why this is, um, but it's now over the last two or three years, there's a lot of data that correlates between receivers with lower target shares, but really high average depth of targets that they perform best as home favorites. And that's where, that's where Michael Gallup is right now. Um, he's a large home favorite. That is where you want to play historically high dot wide receivers. And that's what Michael Gallup has been. His air yards share is almost triple that of his target share on the season. So if there's a situation where he's going to be able to actually reel in one of those bombs um, and, you know, put up sort of a, Four catch, 120 yard, two touchdown game. There's probably no better secondary to do it um, than against this giant secondary. So I'll play some Gallup. I'm definitely going to play some Cooper. Definitely going to play some Lamb. I'm not touching Daniel Jones because he's just so turnover prone and he just looks so terrible that I'm not going to play him until he proves otherwise. But I will play his pass catchers. Um, I'm going to play Evan Ingram. I think Evan Ingram works even if they fall way behind because I could easily see him as the guy where if they're down three touchdowns and they're just playing against prevent defense, it's just continually checking down these eight-yard passes over the middle to Evan Ingram. Uh, I see that in my future. Um, and I'm going to play Darius Slayton. We'll talk about him more in player picks uh, in more detail. 
But if they are able to keep this competitive, I think Darius Slayton is going to be one of the guys that's going to be able to do that. And we just saw last week with Odell. We've seen before with Metcalf and Lockett. We saw before with Julio Ridley. This Dallas secondary is very prone to getting beat deep repeatedly. So Slayton could easily take advantage of these guys this week. Um, I, I'd rather just shoot myself in the face than play Devontae Freeman. Yeah, I think you have to shoot yourself in the face. <laughs> yeah. Begin to think playing Devontae Freeman. Here's what worries me about this game. The LA Rams went in to play the, the New York football giants last week. And everyone expected this explosive game because the Rams had just been firing on all cylinders. I'm not about to compare the Cowboys offense to the Rams offense. Okay, I'm not doing that. But it's something to note. The one thing the, the Giants do well is stifle the run. Uh, Zeke hasn't had the best uh, rushing output this season, partly because they've been behind. But he just hasn't so far had that breakout game that's been expected. He's gotten a ton of targets. But that's mostly because they're behind right away. And so they have to dump it off to him. So I'm definitely playing Zeke. He's going to be in my, spoiler alert, uh, million-dollar guaranteed lock-it-in lineup uh, at the end of the show. But I'm I'm a little hesitant to play him, though I think he can score in this game. The Giants like to shut the run down. I think the, the Cowboys will be – they're losing Tyron Smith for the season now. Yeah, That's going to hurt. Uh, and, and like I said, the Giants up front are a little bit stout, and they do frustrate. They frustrate their opponents, that's for sure. But they haven't not def- they definitely haven't played an offense like the Cowboys, uh, from what I can recall off the top of my head right now. I want Slayton. No, they haven't. I want Slayton. This feels like mm-hmm. a gallop for some reason. For some reason, something in me is just saying that this this is a gallop week. So if I wouldn't mind him as a, a dart play. I think he's pretty cheap right now on DraftKings. Yeah. He's on probably cheap everywhere. Um, so he's, if you want to throw him in as your dart throw, that's fine. But yeah, you, you play your main guys here. That's that's the take that I have from it. You play your main guys, and if you really want to get a bonus in in your lineup, play the Cowboys defense because if there's one guy that's gonna make them look good, it, Daniel Jones is for sure just gonna. I don't want to do this and physically hand the ball to them <laughs> before they hit him. So if you want a competitive edge, like a real shot, but you got to know it could sink you. I don't see the Giants putting up 25, 27, 28 points, regardless if it is the Cowboys. So I, I think I'm going to definitely play the, the Cowboys defense here. Dan- I, Daniel Jones is so brutal that there will be lineups where I play Giants and I play the Cowboys defense. <laughs> no, it's yeah. true. Like, I'm, I'm going to play lineups. Like I'm going to play Zeke, Cowboys, D, Gallup, Ingram, like that's going to be a lineup I'll play where I go, okay, they're going to, Dallas is going to get way up early. Um, part of that's going to be a 50 yard Gallup touchdown. Zeke's going to get 25 carries and probably two touchdowns. And then, uh, you know, they're just going to sack Daniel Jones a bunch. They're going to make picks because he's awful. But while he does that, he's also going to find Evan Ingram like 12 times for <laughs> eight yard drag routes. So that's, you know, that's something that I think is, is actually possible and it's kind of a way to differentiate is to play giants and play the dallas defense but i think it's totally viable yeah i agree that's that's definitely the way i'm going into that game i mean a little homerism here indy cleveland why do you like this game i mean indy is my my defensive start of the week because i hate baker mayfield and what he does and they're gonna need him to do something chubb is out uh i just and and hunt you don't know if he's 100 percent or not Dernis Johnson getting like his first real significant playing time last week. I don't know if he's going to do as well against this defense. 
So what are your takes from here? I think Indy is a shutdown defense at this point. Yeah, so I actually don't love this game. I just feel like we need to talk about this game because Kareem Hunt's probably going to be the most popular running back on the slate. So I think we should, we should talk about what's going on with Cleveland, especially coming off a 49-point performance. So here's, here's the things with Cleveland. Um, per number fires net expected points metrics, they are the number six most efficient offense in the NFL, which is actually incredible considering that they looked like an XFL team in week one against Baltimore. Um, since that time, they've put up, frankly, three very impressive offensive performances. That's come, of course, against Cincinnati, Washington, and Dallas, two of the worst defenses in the NFL, and Washington, which I think is probably a, an average to bottom half defense, especially with Chase Young missing most of that game. So what do we make at Cleveland? What we can say for sure is that their offensive line is no longer a liability. Um, they are top five in pass blocking efficiency, top five in run blocking efficiency. This, this offensive line is legitimate, um, and it's going to open up holes in the run game on most weeks. What's interesting is, Cleveland, is Indianapolis has, you know, in, in my view now, one of the best defensive lines in the NFL. Um, Danico Autry, DeForest Buckner, Justin Houston um, have been an absolute force. DeForest Buckner, man, he is, I mean, I'm a Colts fan. I love this guy. He just blows up plays constantly. He's in the quarterback's face on every play. He makes running the ball between the tackles just an absolute problem. Um, and Houston is like, he's found the fountain of youth. He looks unbelievable this season. Um, I think they do a really good job of using him in limited snaps, using him on pass game situations, and making sure he stays fresh and stays active. This has been a really good defense. That being said, they're missing Darius Leonard this week. Um, he went out with a groin issue, and he's going to be missing this week. Um, Rocky Sin is going to probably play, but he also has been banged up this week. That's their number two cornerback. And with this indie defense, you know, I'm, I'm definitely sold that they're good. Um, I'm not sold that they're like the best defense in the NFL, which is what they are in pretty much every statistical category, but they've played, you know, they played the Jags, the Jets, the Vikings and the bears. Um, not exactly a murderer's row. I don't know that Cleveland is an elite offense by any stretch, but I'm, I'm confident in saying they are the best offense that the Colts have faced so far. And I think what's going to be most interesting is the Cleveland run game, which has been the best run game in the NFL against the Colts run defense, which has been absolutely stifling to start the season. And I'm really interested to see which of those wins out. So Cleveland backfield, I'm, I'm fine playing hot no matter what. Even in a game where, Cle where Indianapolis's run defense is absolutely elite, um, I think without Leonard, that is an advantage. Um, I think Cleveland's offensive line is good enough to at least sort of be neutral with the Colts' defensive line. So maybe they're not averaging the six, seven yards to carry that we've seen a lot this season. But I think that they're going to be fine. I don't think we're looking at, at Hunt getting shut down the way David Montgomery or Dalvin Cook have been shut down the last couple of weeks. Um, you know, I think Beckham is interesting. Um, he was clearly the best player on the field last week. It would be hard to imagine that Stefanski's not going to want to keep him involved. He's going up against Xavier Rhodes, who I think has played shockingly well this season. But I'm, I'm still not convinced that he's not going to be able to get beat by an Odell Beckham double move at some point in this game. On the Indy side, I'm out. Uh, Anthony Costanzo is not playing. They've only had two games all season where they've targeted a pass catcher that's not a running back more than six times. I uh, was Hilton back in week one. Pascal this past week. I won't be playing any Colts pass catchers. I'm okay playing Taylor. Um, 
possibly, you know, if I think that the Colts are going to get up and I'm stacking with the Colts defense, but I'm not, um, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not certain um, that I need to play any Colts this week. Otherwise it might just be hunt and log out. Um, Jonas Johnson, I think is more of a wait and see. I'm, I'm not playing him because hunt was limited before. Now he practiced in full. Uh, I think I'm interested to see what he does because I've been impressed by him, but I'm interested for next week on him. I don't want to play him this week. Yep. I, that's all. It's, it, I don't think this is going to be a big, uh, a big high score. Last game we want to talk about is Miami and San Francisco. The San Francisco defense has been absolutely obliterated. So what do you like about this game? Yeah, so I mean, I, I like that that, uh, that San Francisco's defense is really hurt. I think the market still views them as a good defense. And I'm not positive that I view them as a good defense at this point with how many injuries that they have. Um, and San Francisco offensively is getting healthier. Debo came back last week. He avoided any setbacks. He was, he's been practicing in full. Um, he played limited snaps last Sunday. I would expect him to get back up closer to his typical snap count this week now that he's back and ingratiated into the offense. So I think he's actually playable, and probably he'll be at low ownership. Um, George Kittle is obviously back, and he's he's remains a grown-ass man. Oh, yeah. um, Jimmy Garoppolo is back, so we don't have to deal with, with Nick Mullins and C.J. Beathard anymore. The San Francisco backfield, to me, if Mostert, I think, is listed as questionable. If Mostert does not play, McKinnon is instantly an elite running back play this week. Again, we've seen him just have an unreal workload the last two weeks. My, my assumption is Mostert does play. If he does play, I wouldn't play either of them. I, I would expect some sort of touch split, and I really, I really can't tell you exactly who that touch split is going to benefit in this first game back for Mostert, so I would just avoid that. But I think you can play Debo. You can definitely play Kittle. On the Miami side, uh, this might be the last game of Ryan Fitzpatrick. And, I don't, and I'm not saying this because he's been bad. I think he's been perfectly adequate. I would even say he might give them the best chance to win. But if they lose this week, they're one and four. Um, and I think at that point, the writing is, is on the wall that they might want to see what they have in the future of the franchise, which is Tua. But Ryan Fitzpatrick will be going down swinging. So I wouldn't play him necessarily. But I, I'm not afraid of, of Devontae Parker. He's been getting just a ton of targets um, yeah. going up against the banged up secondary. I'll play Parker. I'll stick with Kasiki. He had a really disappointing workload last week. Um, but Seattle has been stronger against tight ends than they have been in the past. So I'm, I'm okay to stick with him for one more week. He's still a highly athletic tight end. He's one of the few tight ends that can get you 80 to 100 yards without doing it through, you know, eight-plus catches of volume. So I like Kasiki. I like Parker. Uh, Gaskin's fine, but uh, I think you can do better uh, than Miles Gaskin just in terms of upside because he gets so few goal line looks. Yeah, I mean, I want Parker. I want Kasiki. Um, that's for sure on the Miami side. San Francisco, I still like McKinnon. But I think this is the last week he's going to be guaranteed locked for his workload because I don't think Mostert's coming in and just destroying. I think there's a little bit of that Matt Breida revenge game coming. So if you believe <laughs> narratives, that's one to look at. But I agree. I think that the rumblings for Tua, though unfair on uh, – on the DGAF King himself, uh, there are coming. So I'm not sure if you want to trust the potential of throwing up four picks just because he can in this upcoming game. I'm avoiding Patrick yeah. for sure. So that's our game breakdown. That's going to do them all. I mean, uh, you stuck in. You're going to definitely feel good about it. I want to quickly, because we are getting crunched for time, I want to go into your plays of the week uh, as quickly as you can. Yeah. Uh, for this week, what are your plays of the week for tournaments? 
Yeah, so it shouldn't take too, too long because we've talked about most of these guys. We've talked about most of these games. This would be a good time to remind everyone that last week in the Plays of the Week section, we hit uh, the number one running back, Joe Mixon. We hit the number one wide receiver, Odell Beckham. We had the number one return on investment tight end in Dalton Schultz. And we had Traquan Smith in there, too, who had a great week. So we're going to try and keep that rolling. Um, a quarterback, I'm going with Mahomes. I'm going with Teddy Bridgewater. I think similar to what I said about Lamar, you know, Mahomes is sort of viewed as one of the guys right now. And he's in a spot where I think they can put up points. I think they can keep with Mahomes. He's always easily stackable with Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, or some combination of those in a game that I really like. So I'm, I'm going to be doing some Mahomes lineups this week. It's always fun when we get the Chiefs on the main slate. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater, if you want to spend down at quarterback, he's my favorite option to do that. He's tournament viable now in a way that I didn't necessarily see him as before because he's shown a willingness to run. I think we, you know, we've seen with Teddy now that 30, 40 yards and a rushing touchdown is absolutely not out of the question. And we've seen him throw for well over 300 yards. Hopefully in a game this week against Atlanta defense indoors, he can put those two things together and pop off for 25 points. And, of course, he's always going to have a lot of weapons that are really good at adding yards after the catch. Running back this week, my favorite running back play of the week is Clyde Edwards-Elaire. Um, at 7,100 on FanDuel, he's over $1,000 cheaper than Ezekiel Elliott. I think people have kind of calmed down on him. Um, but realistically, the last three weeks, he's faced the Chargers, he's faced the Patriots, um, and he's faced the Ravens. None of those are a great matchup for a running back. He's still been producing double-digit FanDuel points in all of them despite not scoring a touchdown in any of them. So with Clyde, he remains an incredibly high floor running back. It's good in all formats. And let's just hope that maybe the touchdown luck turns around um, and he's able to pop in a couple this week against a much easier matchup on the ground. So I love Clyde Edwards-Elaire. Mike Davis is my other running back play of the week. Um, you know, I didn't even realize that I was going with the same two games for both of these, but $6,800 on FanDuel. And as much as I don't think Mike Davis is uh, an all-world talent or anything of the sort, he has been getting tons and tons of targets. Um, he's been efficient with those targets. And he has a monopoly on the goal line work, especially with Reggie Bonifon going to the IR. I think we can expect a 90% snap rate and six to eight targets of a running back, which is $6,800. So count me in on Mike Davis in another easy matchup. Receiver. I'm going with Darius Slayton this week. We mentioned him before, but he is actually number 11 in the NFL in air yards market share. He's seen seven targets or more in every single game. It just hasn't been going well because he got three elite defenses the first three weeks, and then he got Jalen Ramsey in week four. This week, he gets probably to line up all of his routes either against the Wouzier or Trayvon Diggs. Both of those two have really, really struggled in coverage this year. He is a guy where if there are explosive plays in this game, it's going to be to him. They don't use Engram in that role. It's not going to be, you know, 48-year-old Golden Tate, um, and certainly not going to be Devontae Freeman. So if they're going to hit a 40-, 50-yard touchdown, it's almost a guarantee it's going to be to Darius Slayton. Maybe it even happens twice. Other wide receiver love of the week is Hollywood Brown um, at $6,100. Uh, I talked about him, so I won't overlay this point, but I think he's another guy where touchdowns have not been there. But he's had really good fundamentals. He's in a fun game environment with a great matchup. I'm all in on Hollywood. At tight end, we're going with Evan Ingram. He's more of a volume-based play, whereas Slayton is the big play play. But, uh, you know, Evan Ingram is highly athletic. Why they exclusively run these low ADOT routes with him, I'm not sure. But he has the athleticism where he could break one of those for, you know, 20, 30 yards. And maybe finally this week, 
is the week that they actually let Evan Ingram back to running those seam routes, those deep crossing routes where he was really successful under the previous um, offensive regime back earlier in his career. My other love at tight end is George Kittle. Um, you know, he's coming off a massive game. I'm sure he's going to be popular. I don't particularly care. He has his quarterback back this week. Um, because all four top tight ends are on the slate, his ownership shouldn't be as insane as it typically is. He's going up against the Miami defense, so there'll be absolutely no match for him. And whether Debo, IU, whatever's going on with the wide receiver core, uh, Kittle is always going to be a favorite target for Jimmy Garoppolo. Finally, a defense. My number one defensive play of the week. It's a game we haven't talked about yet. It's the Pittsburgh defense. They're going up against a Philly offense. It's just been totally destroyed by injuries. They might be getting Deshaun Jackson back this week. Big whoop. Uh, they're still decimated across the offensive line. Carson Wentz has been extremely turnover prone this season. Um, and so I would expect Pittsburgh, which is, I think, a top five defense in this league, to be able to generate a lot of sacks, possibly generate fumbles. And Carson Wentz seems incapable of going you know, through a game without turning it over once or twice. So I would expect that out of this week. They're a seven-point favorite in that game as well. And finally, I'm going with the Cleveland defense. Um, they are playing at home. Miles Garrett will be lining up against Anthony Costanzo's backup because Anthony Costanzo, who is the elite left tackle from the Colts offensive line, is not playing this week due to a rib injury. Um, that just seems like a major mismatch. And if you can get the incredibly immobile Phillip Rivers going up against Miles Garrett against the backup left tackle, um, I think that's a nice value play at defense at $3,800, as much as obviously I would love uh, Indianapolis to win that game for my heart. Any comments on those tournament ones before we add into our uh, cash pool? No, man, I'm, I'm going to make sure to save my tournament plays because my plays of the week are all going into my lineup this week. So sounds good. And I'll wait it out. All right. I'm going to add, uh, I'm going to talk quickly about cash games for anyone who didn't listen to our first podcast or went over the biggest differences between cash games tournaments. Please go listen to that show. Um, but in the meantime, cash games is where we're not worried about stacking. We're not worried about the massive upside. We just want guaranteed volume, guaranteed productivity at their price. Quarterback, um, I would stick with Mahomes and Teddy, but on top of that, I'm adding Deshaun Watson um, and I'm adding Dak Prescott. Running back, sticking with the same running backs in the tournaments, but on top of that, Kareem Hunt and Ezekiel Elliott. Those are probably the only four running backs I'll be playing in cash games, and I'm going to be playing two out of the four of them in every tournament lineup as well. I really just don't love a lot of the running backs this week. With um, you know, Montgomery has been a value guy for me off the slate with Kamara off the slate, um, and with Dalvin Cook as well off the slate, and Derrick Henry, uh, you know, off of the slate. So I'm probably going to be pretty tight towards those four in all formats. Wide receivers. This is one where I actually wouldn't play either of the tournament plays I gave out because I think they're too volatile. But I would be playing Deontay Johnson. He's my favorite cash play this week at just $5,800. He's $1,500 cheaper than Juju Smith-Schuster this week on FanDuel. Um, despite the two healthy games that they played together, um, Deontay Johnson out-targeted Juju, um, I think, by about 50%. So he's going to be playing against the Philly defense this week. He's going to be seeing a lot of Darius Slay, but that, frankly, doesn't scare me all that much uh, because I think the rest of their defense is exploitable. And Deontay does move around the formation quite a bit. So I like Deontay. I already mentioned Tyler Boyd. Um, I know Tom is, is more into T. Higgins. I think that's a fine tournament play. I still have faith in Tyler Boyd on FanDuel at least at $6,000 because he's just getting elite volume right now. He's averaging uh, eight catches and 96 yards per game over the last three weeks. And I think he's going to get fed in negative game script this week. 
CD Lamb I've given out as a cash play three weeks in a row, and he's hit three weeks in a row, so he will just remain a mainstay. If you have room to spend up a wide receiver, I like Calvin Ridley. Um, and then the last two I'll give quick is Will Fuller and LaVisca Chenault. Uh, we talked about that game earlier, but my favorites are Deontay Johnson, Tyler Boyd, CD Lamb, and, uh, and probably Calvin Ridley this week if you can spend up. Wide receiver, sticking with Kittle. On top of that, though, I'm adding Darren Waller, who I mentioned, and I'm adding Dalton Schultz, uh, who has just been an excellent value for the last few weeks to the point where I have zero issue whatsoever trotting him out in a cash game format of just $5,300 on FanDuel. Defenses, uh, I wouldn't adjust uh, from Pittsburgh or Cleveland, but I will probably also invite Dallas into my cash pool if I want to spend up for a Mahomes or a Dak, if I want to spend up for a Calvin Ridley, and I want Zeke in my lineup. How am I going to fit all of that? I'm going to fit all in with the Dallas Cowboys defense at just $3,400. Uh, Tom mentioned a lot of the reasons why we should want the Dallas defense this week, and I'm willing to play them in cash. So that's uh, that's the player picks. It'll be hard to top last week, but uh, we're going to see how it goes. And Tom, why don't you give us your uh, why don't you give us your lineup this week here? Okay, I know this is this is what everyone waits for. Jacob does all of his analysis, and everyone wonders, is Tom going to listen? Chances are, yes. This week, I'm definitely going to listen. So my big money, guaranteed, million dollars, going to do better than Jacob is, and he's going to get zero credit. Lineup of the week, Teddy Bridgewater, 5,900 on DraftKings. This feels like such chalk bait to me. This is too low for a guy playing the Atlanta defense. So with that, we're going to pair Teddy Bridgewater with Mike Davis. 6400 He's cheaper than James Robinson. This seems insane to me and a guaranteed locked and loaded pick. For me, I was going to put Zeke in here, but I decided on advice, ditch against the Giants, put in Clyde Edwards-Alaire. 6800 on DraftKings, significantly Cheaper than the, I think it was 7,100 on DraftKings for Ezekiel Elliott. Just a quick little scroll up of a button because I was totally prepared. 7,800. He's 1,000 cheaper. That allows us to go up in another position. And I'll tell you who that is in a minute. At wide receiver, because we got Teddy B, DJ Moore at 6,000, and Robbie Anderson at 5,900. We're going to play them both. Oh, get yourself a lineup who can do both. Yeah, exactly. So... I, I need to do this because I understand Robbie Anderson is getting the, the production, but DJ Moore is number one in my heart. So I got to root it on and make money. To be able to do this, you got to kind of take some cheaper shots at wide receiver. I'm doing that with LaVisca Chenault against Houston at 4,500. It allowed me to fit those other two guys in with the four-player stack for Carolina. At tight end, we saved money. On date on sorry on Edwards Alaire, so we could play Travis Kelsey this week at 6400. I think against Vegas, I think his touchdown is going to come this week, and it's going to be very very pretty and satisfying when it does. At our flex, because we've spent a little bit high at some other positions, we're going with T Higgins against Baltimore at 4900. There was just no one a little lower. I could have played Bugs, but I like Higgins a little bit more. For the opportunities he's going to get, I think Green has bit the dust. On defense, I'm going with the Cowboys because I think it's your best chance to not spend a lot of money at 3100 on DraftKings 
and make the most money. I think people are going to be running scared from the Cowboys and not realize just how bad uh, Daniel Jones has been for coughing up the ball. Like, even if the Giants score, they're just going to give it right back to you on the point total with uh, the turnovers for sure. So that is my guaranteed million-dollar big bank lineup. Teddy B, Clyde. Mike Davis, DJ Moore, Chenault, Robbie Anderson in the third spot just because it's karma, Travis Kelsey at tight end, T. Higgins in the flex, and America's team, the Cowboys in the defense. (laughs) That's going to be the lineup for the week. That's going to do it. Guys, this week is going to be full of opportunity to make money, just like it is every week. Whether it's the single game that we mentioned whether it's the full slate, there are so many games that don't seem as exciting as last week, but guess what? Like every week this season, it's been a hell of a ride, and we're going to continue to ride it with you. Ups and downs, the the good, the bad, the uglies, and we're all here for it, and we're here for you. So that's going to do it. Full Tilt DFS podcast for week five. Go make yourself some money. From your host, FF underscore IMBQ, that's Tom Tipple, To my co-host, Jacob Sanderson, FF underscore RTDB, go make that money, go enjoy it, and just remember the most important thing. There's a fight going on out there, gentlemen. Why don't you get in it? Clear eyes, full hearts.